Hello and welcome to the tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week we'll be taking a look at a very fun topic. I think everyone's very interested in unicorns this day. So we'll take a deep dive into Europe's most valuable private companies, uh, followed up by Spotify's new privacy policy, which caused quite a stir this past week. And finally, we'll conclude with a look at UK-based investor Eileen Burbage and what she's recently said about the UK fintech industry. So jumping into the most valuable companies that we have in Europe, I think probably there's one or two names that everybody always quotes when you talk about UK or Europe-based uh, unicorns. Uh, I think everybody says probably Spotify, maybe one or two others. I think I've started to hear something like TransferWise, Funding Circle, maybe a bit more frequently. What are the companies that we should be paying attention to and where did actually this whole topic even come from? Originally, I looked into this on Tech.eu this week because Klarna sold some secondary shares or a secondary deal that valued them now at $2.25 billion. Their valuation last year was 1.4, so I think it was a 61% increase, really increased and propelled them up the highest valued companies, both in Europe and globally. And actually what it meant was that Klarna are now Europe's fourth most valuable privately held VC-backed company. Um, with Spotify are, of course, number one by quite some distance. They have an $8.53 billion valuation right now. It's miles ahead of anything else. But now Sweden have two of Europe's top four most valuable companies. So I thought that was really interesting when the news came out. I then thought, hmm, I wonder what the others are. So I just had a quick look at the top five. And then I noticed there was no UK or London-based companies in the top five. There was two German companies, or Rocket Internet, Backed Ventures, Global Fashion Group, and Delivery Hero, a second and third, respectively. Klarna coming fourth, and then Adyen from the Netherlands, actually Europe's fifth. So then I was like, okay, I need to look into this further, because it's odd that there's no UK or London companies. Finally, sixth place, Fanjul come in, which is actually a fantasy football product, it's got a lot of operations in the US, but actually it was founded in Edinburgh, Scotland, and there's still a lot of operations there. Um, so still no London. And so London first comes in in eighth place, and then it has a couple of companies that are valued at uh, one billion. So we have Shazam, we have Farfetch, we have Funding Circle. So there are three London-based companies, but they come a lot further down the list. And I just found that to be quite interesting. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. It's probably not what we expect when we think of the most valuable European companies. I definitely would have expected a UK in the top five. I think it's interesting to see now we have two Swedish, two German, one Dutch. When you mentioned FanDuel, I mean, I saw that on the list as well. And I just thought fantasy football valued so high. I mean, it just it strikes me as very bizarre. And the other thing that actually kind of surprised me as well was we obviously, in the whole tech industry, we think incredibly highly of the Israeli startup ecosystem. And I only saw one Israeli company on the list, um, Infidat, valued at $1.2 billion, um, coming in at seventh place. So that was also a bit of a surprise for me. Um, but why don't you give us a bit more of a breakdown? You've done kind of the geographies. How about the investors and the different verticals that seem to be leading the way? Yeah, so fintech is leading the way. That has three companies represented. So we have Klarna, Adyen, and Funding Circle all represented. And it's an area that Europe is known to excel in and is keen to kind of position themselves in. 
Um, fashion, we had a couple, Global Fashion Group and Farfetch. And music, weird term really to use for a vertical, I think. But we had Spotify and Shazam, obviously a company which is looking to also expand outside of the music space. Um, in terms of investors and who look to have quite a few hits on their hands right now or in the next couple of years, when these companies inevitably look to exit, Rocket Internet had three in the list, and this was 11 in total. Index had three, and DST Global had three. Um, other than that, Kinovic, Kleiner Perkins, Caulfield and Byers, Excel, Bailey Gifford, Tangleman Ventures, North Zone, General Atlantic, they were other companies that had a couple in there. But what was interesting about the investors was that nearly 60% of them were actually based in Europe and around 40% came from outside of Europe. Oh, that is actually probably a bit of a surprise. Although I think we mentioned last week on the podcast that we're actually starting to see a lot more foreign funds looking at Europe. There's probably a lot more opportunity here than one would think. So I guess we can probably expect that to increase over time. The other thing that also I thought we should definitely not overlook is the age of some of these companies. Spotify obviously leading the way, 8.53 billion valuation, but founded in 2006 versus our third place, someone like Delivery Hero, which founded in 2011, I think is doing extremely well. So I think that's definitely something uh, for people to keep in mind when they look over this list. And also I think, obviously this is the European number them from one to 10. But on a global level, they stack up very differently. So how are some of these companies doing? Like, how does Spotify rank up on a global level? Yes, that's actually a great point. Um, So Spotify, even though they're Europe's most highly valued company by such a long way, they're only 14th globally. But they are the only European company who are even kind of competing in the upper echelons along with Uber, etc. If you look down to Global Fashion Group, second in Europe, 24th. Third in Europe, Delivery Hero, 27th. Klarna, who obviously came up to fourth, are now 42nd globally. And if you look at the top 100 in the world in terms of value and privately held, Europe only actually has 11 of those. So we have 11% of the world's top 100 most valuable companies that are from Europe. So yeah, it doesn't look so great on a global scale, or at least it's nice to at least put it into perspective, these companies that we're looking at, how they're actually stacking up elsewhere as well. And do we have an idea of maybe how the U.S. stacks up as well? No, not in terms of the others. I think the U.S. had the majority. Um, I would say out of the rest, we would be probably approximately like 60-30 in terms of U.S. to Asia. But I didn't actually break it down in terms of those, so I can't say that with any accuracy. But I would certainly say from what I saw, it was somewhere around 60-30. So 60-30-11, well, obviously that adds up to more than 100, but approximately that's kind of the breakdown. All right, great. Well, I think now we can maybe go and look a little bit further at Europe's most valued company, so Spotify. Um, and some important news that came out this last week about them. So obviously Spotify like many companies, changed its privacy policy, but we got some kind of dramatic headlines. So I got from, for example, Fortune, they had a headline reading, Spotify to users, sorry, we meant to tell you that sharing your data is optional. I think CNN Money took it a little bit further, saying Spotify CEO apologizes for super creepy new privacy policy. I think that's one we've seen with quite a few companies. They call them very creepy privacy policies, and you know everybody starts to freak out. But then we had and Gadget come along with a little bit of a you know more neutral tone, just saying Spotify's new privacy policy shouldn't freak you out. I think it's hilarious. We've seen it with maybe Spotify, a couple other companies. What's your take on this whole situation? What's going on? 
Yeah, so it is pretty odd. There was a couple of the most interesting things about this, I think, the reaction, like you say. I mean, the media kind of blows everything up. People like to be outraged, right? And they like, they like to kind of always feel like there's something they should moan at or be annoyed at. But I think what Spotify thought was the biggest problem of this is actually not what the policy is. It was more how they communicated it. So they felt that the issue laid with how they communicated it. And actually, they're still not backing down in terms of what they're doing. Um, so what it is that they're doing is they want to access photos from your phone. They want to access your location. They want to access your voice. They want to access your contacts. And everyone freaked out about this, basically. But when you actually look at the policy, I mean, they're never, never going to take it without permission. You obviously have to accept it. And actually, everything that they want access to is explicitly for improving your Spotify experience. It's not being given to third parties any more than they already do. I think this was one which was completely blown up, but I understand how people could get worried about this. Another interesting thing, I don't actually know kind of how close their relationship is anymore, but Spotify have certainly had a very close relationship with Facebook in the past, and it's quite interesting to see the parallels between experiences that Facebook have had over data policies before and outrage around it. And they've done stuff in the past, and people have got really mad about it, and they've backed down and said, hey, we're sorry. Um, and I think a lot of people were quite actually worried, you know, because Spotify have close ties to Facebook, they didn't trust them in that sense. And actually, there was a big public Twitter debate between the founder of Mojang, who create the Minecraft games. He's also a fellow Swede. Him and Daniel Ek had a very public argument about the new policy on Twitter, which was quite interesting to see it play out completely. And you could almost see the cogs in Daniel's mind as he realized it was communicated badly, and lo and behold, the sorry blog post followed a couple of hours later. So that's very interesting. I think I want to just pick up on two things that you mentioned there. I think, first of all, you've hinted at the fact that it doesn't really come down to what the policy is. It really comes down to how these companies are communicating it. And it's surprising to see a, you know, we've just mentioned that Spotify founded 2006, fairly experienced company, this is a topic that nobody should be taking lightly these days. How can they, of all people, mess up on the way they communicate? How did they communicate it? And what do you think they could have potentially done differently? Yeah, the problem with it was that it was a lot of legal terms, I think, in the way that it was originally communicated. So people couldn't really figure out exactly what they were doing. They didn't say, right, we're going to do this. You know, we're never going to access it if you don't give us permission. This is exactly what we're going to do when we're accessing your photos. This is what we want to use it for. It was covered up in a lot of legal language. So I think people were more concerned. They didn't really know the true purpose. So I think that's where the communication issue fell down. And actually, you mentioned about them being an experienced company. You make a good point. And actually, in the early days of Facebook, when they had these issues, it was the early days of Facebook when they were more inexperienced. But also, I think that Spotify as a company, you know, it's originally from Sweden. It's, it's a fairly small country. And I think that Spotify really are under the spotlight and under pressure a hell of a lot more than they're, they're used to now. You know, they are Europe's flag bearer these days. There's a hell of a lot more people looking at them, aware about their business with the rise of Apple Music, etc. Like the, the spotlight and the pressure that they're under is increasing more and more and perhaps they're struggling to adjust with that because I really think even from a year or so ago that scrutiny has definitely increased.
And I think also just mentioning the discussion that Daniel I had with the founder of Mojang, um, did you get a chance to look at that? What exactly was the main point of discussion? Yeah, I did briefly. I mean, basically, the notch, as he's known online, he was saying he was going to leave Spotify because of the policy. And uh, Daniel Ek was saying, yeah, but you're not understanding why we're doing this. This is why we're doing it. You know, you can opt out. He was defending the policy. Notch also expressed his concerns about the close ties to Facebook, which quite a few people were doing. Um, and essentially, he was saying it's unnecessary. You know, it's a bit creepy. I don't feel that you need to do this in order to improve my experience. And actually, you know, what are you really doing this for? was essentially kind of the undertone to it all, where Daniel was just like, well, we're going to do it for this, or like, you know, read what we're saying. It isn't as bad as you think it is if you actually look at the policy properly. But I think they've completely uh, disagreed on it. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. I saw quite a few people actually saying they were going to close their account, and, you know, when the changes would come about, they would go back. So I don't think Spotify has really lost out in the long term. But I do think it's interesting that people tend to not trust that these companies actually want to provide you a better experience. They tend to think it's like a front. They want to collect your data and resell it, and it's going to be just terrible for everybody. Um, What are your just personal thoughts on that? I always find that actually quite hilarious, but I wonder, is there some truth to it? (laughs) I think it's really odd. I mean, for me, I've got Spotify, and if I don't want to give them access to my photos or location, I just won't. And yeah. it's not that dissimilar to any other app that I have on my phone who are already constantly asking me to access my location, access my photos, whatever. If I don't want to do it, I just won't do it. So be it, my experience won't be improved, but I have that choice. And, you know, Spotify are offering that choice. So I understand that completely. But I also understand, I think in the last couple of years, people have been more freaked out about what information these companies are accessing what information governments are accessing from our phones, from our computers. So, of course, that whole conversation has really risen up. And I think people feel a lot less comfortable than they did before. Or people are aware of consequences of sharing data now. Um, So I think that's what it is. Personally, in this situation, I don't think Spotify are going to use it for anything other than what they say they're going to use it for. And I think if you've got an issue with it, just turn it off. Just don't give them access to it. Yeah, and I think a lot of people forget that they actually have the controls to do that um, and they don't have to always shut down the service entirely. I think also um, Europe's relationship with privacy may be very different from other countries. Uh, We definitely saw with Google and the right to be forgotten that Europe has a very strong relationship with data privacy protection and that kind of thing. So I think this type of thing, it's always peaks, you know, the first few days and then people actually forget about it right after. So yeah. um, so I think very interesting to look at, at that and hopefully Spotify has learned enough that they won't make this mistake again. Yeah. Uh, so moving on to our final topic. So we're going to take a look at actually an article that came out this week in The Guardian about how Eileen Burbage, who is a UK-based investor, who is now actually a special envoy for fintech in the UK, how she feels about the UK fintech industry. And I think What the article essentially sums up pretty well is she thinks it's not only going to be Europe's leader, it's going to be the global leader in fintech. And she kind of attributes that to a few very basic points or advantages that the UK has. She says, you know, they have a terrific regulatory environment. They have the whole banking heritage. London is like financial capital of the world. And then also the time zone, which I found was actually an interesting point that she made perfectly between Hong Kong and Silicon Valley. 
Um, so I think that she's essentially pointed to three great advantages, and I think we've already started to see some excellent fintech companies coming out of the UK. I don't know if I think actually uh, Chancellor Osborne is proposing that they actually do a global ranking to see where the UK lines up globally, so we'll have to wait to see that later on this year. But we already do have quite a lot of great fintech companies in the UK, and you're probably well better positioned to name them than I am, but we mentioned a few in top European private companies, um, which are the ones that you think people should probably be paying attention to? So Funded Circle are the highest valued, at least at the minute. TransferWise also probably just passing the billion dollar valuation now. So I think those two will kind of be pushed forward as the ones leading the way and getting the message out there. Then there's some that are kind of bubbling below that, uh, quite interesting, Go Cardless, Mondo, Onfido, these are another clutch that are quite interesting. Um, but actually, going back to what we were talking before, there was three fintech companies in Europe's top 10, 11 most valuable companies, and only one was actually from the UK, and that was Funding Circle. I think TransferWise would probably pretty much be right on the edge, but still, Adyen and Klarna, the other two fintech, were, had a significantly higher valuation than Funding Circle. So it is quite interesting that she's putting this case forward However, I have to admit, the conditions in London for, for it to be the home of fintech, I have to agree with her. Um, I think that perhaps the scene will mature more and more. I do think London is probably the home overall in terms of the amount of promising companies it has. But it is interesting to note that apart from funding circle transferwise, there's none up around that billion dollar mark. And other countries also have one or two fintech companies up around that. So if you're looking up, right at the top, it's not particularly special, but it definitely has the potential. And I would, on balance, say that London is Europe's home. And I think, why not? Why not globally, the kind of fintech uh, leader? Yeah, I think you make a terrific point. And I think it is probably going to come down to, at least for the moment, the number of companies. And I think they probably, in the UK, touch along a much wider range of fintech topics, money transfers, mobile banking. We've talked about crowdfunding platforms on the podcast before that I don't think we're really seeing the same type of activity elsewhere in Europe. But yeah, I think you're, you're right. The top two in the fintech space in terms of valuation are not based out of the UK. So I think we'll probably have to wait and see. But I do think it's probably worth it for us to pay a little bit more attention to Eileen herself. I think she's somebody that seems to really be becoming more and more visible, more and more influential in the European scene. Um, so she's obviously not originally from the UK, although now she has nationality. She's originally from the US, has worked at Apple, Sun, and also Skype. Now she's an investor at Passion Capital. So they've done quite a lot of investments, I think. So from the list of companies that you mentioned, she's an investor in Go Cardless and Mondo through Passion. And now she's obviously also spearheading fintech for the UK government. So I think she's got a really, really interesting position. Um, but I did want to come back to actually something that's a little bit less along the lines of fintech. I think she recently came out about her relationship with Skype. They apparently terminated her contract in the UK. She was a really early employee there. And I thought it was actually a really interesting thing for her to do. It was obviously quite a few years ago, but I don't think we've seen a lot of people candidly come out and kind of express the complexities that they've had with the team and expectations. So I think it's a really courageous stance to take and actually probably very necessary for a lot of founders to read. It really shows you how people can have different expectations and if they're not clear, and I think it happens for a lot of young startups that 
things just go haywire. So I think that she does a terrific job. It's probably worth it for a lot of people to listen to what she shared with TechCrunch and was picked up by quite a few other publications. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I thought it was great. Like you say, I think it's kind of invaluable to people in this world. You know, they may be in a similar situation or at least they feel like, well, it happened in companies such as Skype. It happened to people such as Eileen Burbage, someone who's well respected now. So I definitely think someone in her position sharing those that, that insight is definitely very valuable to people. I actually had a Twitter discussion with Eileen uh, recently. Uh, I say discussion, it was more of a disagreement. She actually said, and this ties in very nicely with both her background and both her position of, of kind of promoting London. She said, why don't we consider Skype a, a London success? And for me, as someone who's based in the Nordics for a while, concentrated on the Nordics, I already find the Skype story hilarious because in Sweden they say it's Swedish, in Denmark they say it's Danish, in Estonia they say it's Estonian. And of course there are claims for each country. There's a Swedish founder, Danish founder, Estonian founder eventually, but back-end all built there as well. And then for me to hear a fourth country lay claim, I thought was pretty amusing. But I mean, you know, she had some good points. She was obviously there. She knew what was going on internally. She was saying a lot of the business was done from London. A lot of the executives were there. That's where it was happening. That's where they were based, predominantly, mainly. Um, so she was saying, why not consider it a London success or a UK success? So yeah, I backed down a little bit. But I think what we agreed in the end was that what you can definitely call Skype is a European success story and a truly European success story by really taking advantage of Europe's diversity and the different countries and using Europe as a great place to launch a business such as Skype. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail right on the head. I think also Skype has a very unique founder story. We see a lot of, uh, maybe of quite a few companies today, but fewer teams that actually have co-founders from a number of different countries. I think the claims are obviously really funny, but also quite natural. I think a lot of these different European companies do compete with each other. They want that success story for themselves, and they have the right to it if you know there's a founder from that country and it's based in another country and the tech team is elsewhere. So I think that's a, a perfect way to sum up Skype as a true European company since you know different acquisitions that they've had been in Ireland and Luxembourg and I don't know where else so I think yeah. we're really looking at a true European company so it's probably a great place for us to end on this week definitely and as usual please give us your feedback uh, you can put it in the comments when we post this up or you can reach us on Twitter I'm at Neil SW Murray Roxanne is at Roxanne Vaza and we are on at tech underscore EU Obviously, the site is tech.eu. But that's it. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Neil.